Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Men and women who you look up to as leaders and, and pace setters for the church, they will need to be replaced. And guess who has to do it? You and me. Whether you like it or not, uh, there is an urgency attached to this passage because the church needs men and women who will step forward and they will bravely take up the mantle of, from the dying generation and they'll say, as D.L. Moody asked, who will stand in the gap between God and man? And we need to respond and say, I will. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As Pastor Steve begins part one of his concluding message in this series from 2 Timothy, we'll be looking at the importance and the urgency of having a succession of leaders to carry on the task of evangelizing the lost and discipling believers. Turn to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy if you have your Bible. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. Peter Pan is an imaginary Disney character. He lives in an exciting place called Never Neverland. He lives there with Captain Hook, Indians and pirates and exciting people like that. His, his life is one adventure after another. But there's one thing about Peter Pan that uh, is very, very interesting. He doesn't want to grow up. Doesn't want to grow up. He doesn't want to face the responsibilities of adulthood. I can appreciate that. I understand that. I understand where he's coming from. But the time comes when we all have to grow up and take our place in society as responsible adults. In the church, the same thing is true. In the church, the time comes where you have to step forward and assume responsibilities as mature Christians and, and even leadership in the church if necessary, and that's, if that's what God wants. Throughout biblical history, God has raised up leaders, leaders in the past like Moses and, and David and great prophet like Elijah, but they carried the burden for their generation and then they died and they passed off the scene. What happens then? Well, they passed the torch on to a new generation of leaders. Moses had his Joshua who was waiting in the wings and David had his Solomon who took his place and even expanded the empire. Elijah's mantle fell on Elisha as he carried on the prophetic ministry to apostate Israel. There is a saying that goes like this, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. And that is borne out by biblical history. God buries his workmen but carries on his work. And that brings us to 2 Timothy. Because when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was in a Roman dungeon, a stinking, damp, horrible pit in the ground, aware that death was near, knowing that it wasn't long or far away, perhaps days, perhaps weeks. There's indications that he thought he might even live through winter. But he's about 70 years old when he writes this letter. 
And as an old warrior of the faith, he knew it was time to pass the torch on to Timothy. That's really what the letter is all about. Timothy, it's your turn. I'm going to die. And as Paul begins to wind down his letter to Timothy in chapter 4, he tells the young man the time has come for Timothy to, to step into his shoes. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And I want you to understand that that is the message there. Timothy, there is the urgency of the hour, and you, young man, have got to grow up. You can't run away. You can't lay low. You have got to step forward and take my place. Now, we're not talking about taking place as an apostle. There's no apostolic succession. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about a leadership role. And so he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but, but also to all who have loved his appearing. At the beginning of chapter 4, the tone of the letter became one of urgency. He says in the beginning of chapter 4, Timothy, preach the word. I solemnly charge you to preach the word. What word? The inspired word of God, that God-breathed-out word. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, Timothy, do something with it. You must herald it. You must proclaim it. And he's saying, do it now. Why? There are two reasons. And uh, if we had spoken one week after each other, it would be a little bit easier to put this together. But the last time we dealt with Second Timothy, we said, number one reason that you must preach the word and do it now is limited time. Look at verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. And remember, I told you the deep meaning of that it means to have your ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and they'll turn aside to myths. Now he says, Timothy, the first reason that you must preach the word now is do it while you still have somebody who's going to listen. Do it while you still have an audience because the time will come when the professing church by and large will say, no, thank you, Mr. Timothy. We don't want Bible teaching. We want myths, and even now they're turning aside to it. We want things that'll tickle our ears. That is, we want things that'll really scratch us, things that'll scratch us where we itch. That's the thought. We want things that will really be practical, like myths, right? We want things that will really be interesting. We don't want Bible doctrine. We don't want to hear God's word. We're into sensationalism. We're into the, the avant-garde. We're into something a little bit different. Give us that. So Paul says, Timothy, while you still have an audience, and there was, the church at Ephesus was listening to him, while you still have an audience, preach the word. They'll listen to you now. So preach the word. There's a second reason, and that's what we want to look at. The second reason, uh, the first is limited time. And that's what you and I, do. there's limited time. You don't know when your audience is going to turn away. And I'm not talking about just an audience like this. You don't know when that relative of yours is going to say, look, enough. Enough. I don't want to hear it anymore. So don't wait. Do it now. I'm not saying be obnoxious. The Bible's not saying be discourteous. The Bible's not saying be rude. Seize the moment. Be courageous. Be bold. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. But don't put it off. If the Lord is opening the door now, limited time. Second reason is the loss of teachers. The loss of teachers. That is to say that the present leadership is dying. They're passing off the scene. Men and women who you look up to, 
as leaders and, and pace setters for the church, they will need to be replaced. And guess who has to do it? You and me, whether you like it or not. Uh, there is an urgency attached to this passage because the church needs men and women who will step forward and they will bravely take up the mantle of, from the dying generation and they'll say, as D.L. Moody asked, who will stand in the gap between God and man? And we need to respond and say, I will. I was at Moody Keswick on, um, on Tuesday. There was a seminar, a church leader seminar with John MacArthur and, uh, I met a man there who uh, we, we shook hands and I asked him his name. He asked me my name. He said, oh, we had a mutual friend. I said, who is that? He said, Franklin Logsdon. And it all came back to me who this fellow was. And and uh, Dr. Logsdon had, had recommended that he come over here with his dad. He visited on a Sunday night. He and his dad are involved in a very dynamic ministry in Tampa. And uh, I got to thinking about Dr. Logsdon. Some of you know knew him. Some of you didn't. Dr. Logsdon was a dear man of God who took a great interest in me. He was pastor for a while of Moody Memorial Church. He followed Harry Ironside. He is, he was an author. He was a Bible expositor extraordinaire. He was a, just a, a, just a, a giant of the faith. And, uh, Dr. Logsdon, about a year or so ago, went home to be with the Lord. And I thought in conjunction with 2 Timothy, who's going to take his place? Now, there'll never be another S. Franklin Logsdon. God doesn't want another S. Franklin Logsdon. However, who's going to take someone's place like that? Who's going to stand in the pulpit and, and speak of the high standards of holiness? And who's going to uh, go around and minister the word of God? And who's going to take an interest in prophetic things like he did? And who's going to have the impact that, that he did on so many lives? Who led you to Christ? Think about that. Someone older? Usually it's that way. A mother, a father? Maybe a Sunday school teacher who took an interest in you. They're getting older, perhaps. That generation is dying off. Will you take their place? Will you step forward and say, I will lead. I will stand in the gap. I will be your man, your woman, God. If you're hesitant, you're like Peter Pan. Peter never wanted to grow up. In fact, the song is, which I won't sing it to you, I won't grow up, I don't want to go to school and learn all, remember that, the golden rule and things like that. Peter Pan. You see, if you don't take the responsibility, then you just say, look, leave it for someone else. And God will raise up someone else, but you'll miss the joy in life. And I'm convinced that if Timothy didn't step forward, God would have raised someone else, someone else up to have the impact on that generation. Many in our church, Lakeside, are, are young, middle-aged, prime of life. If you don't lead, God will raise up others. He just will. Paul had a great fear of being put on the shelf. He disciplined himself. We'll see that in a few moments. He disciplined himself. He, he beat his body. He said, I gave myself a black eye. And Paul's great fear was that God would put him on the shelf. God would say, Paul can't use you anymore. I can't use you. I'm putting you on the shelf. Certainly not loss of salvation, but disqualified from service. Listen, God will raise up somebody. The issue is, will you be that man and that woman? The three verses before us in 2 Timothy 4 are really an incentive to take the torch and lead. That's really what they're about. It's, it's not Paul comforting Timothy. 
It's not Paul just looking back on his life and saying, here's how I lived. It's saying, Timothy, here's how I lived. You've got to preach the word and live like this too. So that when you come to the end of your life, you'll be able to say the same thing. You'll not have any regrets. So, while Paul speaks about himself, it really is a call for Timothy and for us to follow in the apostles' footsteps. So let's go through these verses and see what God has for us. The loss of teachers. In verse 5, which connects with verse 6, he says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In this verse, Paul told Timothy what was expected of him. In other words, the thought is this, in, in light of the coming lack of interest in Bible teaching, Timothy, you are to faithfully continue in carrying out your ministry. Don't be like these people. That's why he says in verse 5, but you, in other words, but you in contrast to them, you be sober. Don't be like them. They can't think clearly. They're intoxicated with myths. You be sober-minded. You be sane. You endure hardship by living a godly life and preaching the word, and that'll get people annoyed at you, and, uh, and, and do the work of an evangelist in the midst of reaching out to the church. Remember the lost folks. And also fulfill your ministry. That is, complete your ministry, Timothy. Do it to the end. Then in verse 6, he tells Timothy the reason that he's to do this and not give up. Look at the beginning of verse 6. For, now let's stop there. For, when you read the word for in the, in the translations of your Bible, it usually is that Greek expression which means, here's the reason. You do this because, and that's what it is here. Timothy, complete your ministry, be sane, be sober, preach the word, because here's the reason, and that's what the rest of verse 6 is. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Let's put it together. Timothy, preach the word, fulfill your ministry, endure hardship, because I'm already being poured out as a drink offering the time of my departure has come. That's the thought. Do this for this reason, because my end is near. In fact, it's upon me. Now, Paul gives two vivid pictures of death, of his death. When he speaks of death, and this is very, very interesting and I think very significant, the first picture he gives of death, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, you don't hear many people speak about that, uh, death like that. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The Greek word refers to a drink offering that was poured out at the end of an Old Testament sacrifice. In Numbers chapter 15, you don't need to turn there. In Numbers chapter 15, God gives a description to the uh, to Moses and the Jewish people of how the, the sacrificial system was to be carried out. Uh, when to bring a lamb, when to bring this animal, and what they were to do, and so forth. And at the end of the animal sacrifice, God said, you are to take an offering of wine and pour it out beside the altar. That pouring out of wine was the final touch of the sacrifice. It was the final act. It closed the sacrifice. It meant that it was coming to a close. The Apostle Paul is saying this. He is using this expression to mean that his life was coming to a close. The final act of sacrificial service in his life was was upon him. That's the thought. Poured out as a drink offering, that's, that's really what it means. And it's a marvelous truth because years ago he had laid his life on the altar. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Paul said, Years ago, he put his life on the altar. He said, God, 
You don't want a dead sacrifice at this point. You want a living sacrifice. He put himself on the altar. He lived sacrificially. His life was really laid down for the cause of Christ. And now he's saying as he comes to the end of his life, that final act of sacrificing, that that as if it were the, the wine being poured out, his life, the blood in him would be poured out as the final touching act, the closing act of his sacrifice. His death just completed the sacrifice of his life. That's what he means here. Marvelous way to speak of death. In his life, he was a living sacrifice. In his death, he would still be sacrificing. And the process apparently had already begun. That's why he said in verse 6, for I am already being poured out. Now, Paul didn't mean that they were uh, cutting his head off right then. He meant that the process had begun. He had appeared at a preliminary trial. He knew what the outcome would be. He understood that he would die. And he's saying, look, the process has already begun. It, it's as if the, the final blood was being spilled. It's as if the wine was already being poured out right now. That's the first picture of death. Marvelous truth because it tells us that our lives must be lived out as sacrifices. You come to the end of your life, it ought to be because you have lived a life of sacrifice to the Lord and you could say that my, um, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. If you don't live for Christ now, you really can't say it then. This is a great warrior of the faith saying this. This does not apply to everybody. This is a high standard, but this is the word of God. It's a standard that we all should live by. The second picture of death, notice in verse 6, he says, and the time of my departure has come. Departure was a Greek euphemism that referred to death. It was used in, in other uh, non-biblical literature. The Greeks used it like that, and everybody understood it. You don't want to get too technical here. It, it just was a, another expression to speak of death, and they all understood that. Now, it's interesting that this word, though, this word and this expression, or the word really departure, was used a number of different ways in Greek literature. It was used of, of taking down a tent, like an army would break camp. You know, let's go, come on, we're moving out. It was used here, departure. It was also used to express the loosening of a, of a prisoner's shackles, the releasing of a prisoner. You can go free now. You're free to go. It was also used of hoisting anchor of a ship about to sail. That is to say, untying the boat from its moorings, loosening a ship's ropes or cables uh, when it was weighing anchor and it could, it could sail off into the sea. It was used a number of these ways. And what exactly Paul had in mind, we're not sure. But all of these have the thought of departure, meaning that you're moving out. You're gone from here. You're leaving. Most Bible teachers like the expression of putting out to sea. And that's as good as any because it's, it's really the thought here. Uh, Paul saw death as setting sail into eternity. Isn't that marvelous? Just picking up anchor, sailing into eternity. What a marvelous way to face death. I want to face death that way. I hope you do. The final sacrifice of a life of sacrifice and a trip. That's what he saw. It. That's what he saw death as. Just a, an adventure, an exciting voyage ahead. Sailing, not just into the sunset, but into eternity. How do you view death? How do you view death? To some people, it is very, very scary. I'm talking about as a Christian. How do you view death? There are some Christians who are st still very scared of death. It is the great unknown to many people. They're afraid. 
they, uh, it's dark. We have all kinds of books telling us about people who said they died and they came back. And I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Something happened, but they, but they didn't die. To be absent from the body is if you're a Christian, you're present with the Lord. To be absent from the body, if you're a non-Christian, you go to, to a Christless eternity. You don't come back and float around and see a light at the end of a tunnel and all that kind of stuff. But uh, to a lot of people, it is the great unknown. But the Bible gives us a lot of comforting phrases referring to death. Let's look at some of them. This is not the point of Paul's uh, message, but it is the truth. It is truth here in Philippians chapter 1. And I'll go through this quickly. You don't, you don't even need to turn there. I'd encourage you to write it down, but you don't need to turn there. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul spoke of death as gain. He said that to, uh, to depart and be with Christ is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Marvelous. Do you think of death as gain? Some people think, what, but, but I'm leaving everything here. Paul said it's gain. Who cares what you're leaving here? It is gain. The old saying is, when he died, what did he leave behind him? Everything. Everything. Be with the Lord is gain. Verse 23 of that same passage says this, But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to, and be with Christ, for that is very much better. That's better to die. Most people want to cling on to life and hold on to it dearly. Paul said, look, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. It's profitable for you if I stay here. It's better for me if I go. I guess he said I'm going to stay here. But Paul said that to go from his perspective was better. Death was better than life, is what he's saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he said to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to be finally home? For our citizenship is where? In heaven. You think like that? Most people, they think, but I, I love this life. I want to hold on to it. This is home. This is not home. This is not home. Peter calls us pilgrims. A pilgrim is one who's just passing through. Paul said, that to be absent from this body is to be present and at home with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Paul calls death falling asleep in Jesus. Now, he doesn't mean soul sleep. Some people think that when you die, you are in a state of soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the expression is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.14 of Sleeping. When believers die, it's as if they are sleeping. It doesn't mean their soul is sleeping, but it looks like they're sleeping, but they're with the Lord. In Psalm 116, verse 15, the psalmist said that precious in God's sight is the death of his saints. When a loved one dies, understand that in God's sight it's precious if he's a believer. In Luke chapter 16, we read, this is before the cross, that to, to die is to be carried away into Abraham's bosom. Now it's to be with the Lord, but then before Hades was emptied, it was to be in Abraham's bosom, and also paradise. Jesus said, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. Abraham's bosom. So while Paul greeted death in a triumphant manner, and, and that's the only thing you can get out of this, this verse, that he met death head on and said, look, it's the sacrifice of my life, the end of my, of my sacrificial life, and it is a voyage to me. His point was not to comfort Timothy. I mean, it's comforting, but that's not his point. That's not his purpose. 
It wasn't like Timothy was about to die. He was simply saying, Timothy, my death is imminent. It could happen at any time. I want you to know I'm about to be history. I'm moving off this scene. Understand that we don't have a whole lot of time here. That's his point. And Timothy's mentor is about to depart, and so he needed to step in into his shoes and to preach God's word. That's the point. Timothy, I want you to know it's getting urgent because I am not going to be here very long. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Death was standing by just waiting its time, the Apostle Paul. Preach the word, Timothy. Get up and preach the word because you won't have me to do it anymore. You won't have me to set the example. You proclaim God's word. And that's what Paul's life was centered on, right? Centered on preaching the word of God. And Timothy needed to step in and take up Paul's mantle. We too need to be looking for people to continue God's work. Maybe he's calling you to stand in the gap as well. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. We have giving information on our website if the Lord is leading you to help us keep these classes on the air. Go to versebyverseradio.org. And feel free to take advantage of our free audio downloads on the Message Archive page. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve continues encouraging us from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Thank you.